Welcome to Detangle, where we untangle the complexities of life one conversation at a time. Today's discussion will be a truly heartfelt one, for we have with us Dr. Tiny Nair, a renowned cardiologist from Trivandrum. I'm your host, Dr. Kinjal Goel, and I'm so excited to have a cardiologist with me today. My introduction personally to Dr. Nair was through his writings on Cora. A prolific writer and a recipient of several awards, Dr. Nair is an inspiration to many. In his own words, he comes from a multicultural family, a Bengali mother and a Malayali father, thanks to which he enjoys everything from rasgullas to filter coffee. He is also a travel enthusiast and enjoys exploring new places. Welcome, Dr. Nair. And thank you so much for joining me on Detangle today. Thank you, Dr. Kinjal, and thanks for the nice introduction. I'm so happy to be here with you tonight. So, Doc, without wasting any further time, let me dive into the questions. I have lots of questions for you. There's so much I want to ask, and I'm sure there is so much that our audience wants to know because the heart and mind, they have a very special relationship. So here goes. Doc, in your bustling practice, how often do you see emotions playing a strong role in a person's cardiovascular health? Uh, Dr. Kinjal, I think uh, that's a very interesting question. And uh, the answer is not really very simple. Uh, emotions are, 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 are present every moment of our life, right? For example, I always compare emotions with uh, a placid sea. You look at the center of the sea, it's so placid. You focus on the shore, you see those waves lapping on the shore softly. They're like our daily emotions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a bit of happiness, a bit of sadness, a little bit of anger. Maybe you are upset about something, your warmth. Everything is like that uh, sea with a little bit of uh, uh, those lapping of the waves at the shore, right? But sometimes, without a notice, you see a tsunami coming in, right? A storm raging and huge waves. And that is when emotions rage, you get extremely angry, you're extremely upset. And that's it's all about. But when we talk about our daily emotions, uh, the little bit of sadness, happiness, and all that, understand that our cardiovascular system, our cardiovascular system, the heart, is governed by a complex set of nerves, you know, a set we call as sympathetic, meaning that they are like your car's accelerator. They accelerate stuff. They increase your heartbeat, your blood pressure. And on the other side, we have what we call as the parasympathetic, a brake. Slows down your heart rate when we go to sleep. And this combination, this fine tuning of the accelerator in the heart is what keeps the heart ticking at the right rate and the right uh, uh, programming and the right way we want it to, right? Now, the point is, the point is, if we take a cardiovascular illnesses, let's take the most trivial one. Mm -hmm. Someone walks to my clinic with a high blood pressure, right? A young man. He may not have a blood pressure. He might be simply anxious and we are getting a higher blood pressure reading. And that might be what we call it as white coat hypertension. Mm -hmm. Simply anxiety driven. So on one side, you have trivial uh, things like so-called white coat hypertension. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, Dr. Kinjal, uh, we have a large study from US, uh, which shows us that people who leave the intensive care unit 
after a major heart attack, let's say massive heart attack, uh, one who leaves the intensive care unit extremely worried and anxious, he doesn't do well at all. In contrast, one who leaves the ICU with a similar kind of heart attack, a similar kind of damage, but he's kind of cheerful, he does better, not just a short term, but years after the attack. So, you know, emotions play a significant role in almost every case of not just health or mild disease. I think every sphere of cardiovascular abnormalities that we see in our daily practice. I think that's one of the most uh, impactful analogies that I have heard about the heart and mind. Because like you said, it's always present, sometimes high, sometimes low. But we never really spend a day without emotions, do we? Correct, correct. Absolutely. So, Doc, there is a commonly used term. I'm sure all our listeners have used this term at least twice in the last week. The term is heartfelt emotions. It means something rather simple to most people. But for you and for me, it runs a lot deeper. Can you explain how these intense emotions can actually be felt physically by the heart? Yeah, I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, See, I always, uh, in my lectures to my students, I always refer to as, we have two hearts. So students are surprised. Two hearts. Yes, we have two hearts. One is a heart that I, and both of us, we see every day. One with uh, four chambers, four valves, uh, arteries, veins, muscles contracting, the physical heart, right? We listen to it with the stethoscope. Uh, we try to diagnose problems by an EKG, uh, echocardiogram. Uh, we we try to remove blocks, replace valves, uh, improve its functioning, put devices. That is the physical heart that the physician, that the cardiologist treats, right? But there is something else too. And that is uh, kind of the second heart is the philosophic heart, right? People say that, oh, I was heartbroken when she left me or, oh, I was my heart filled with happiness. They're basically referring not to the physical heart, but to the mind. And this connection of the heart with physical, these two kinds of heart, the mental heart within uh, quotes and the physical heart is, is, is not simple. In fact, if you study history very interestingly, you know, in old uh, uh, days of Rome, the Roman Empire, uh, it was believed that there's an anatomic connection. And people believe that there's a vein mm -hmm. that carry blood from the ring finger right straight to the heart. And they said it's called vena amoris. You know, vena amoris carries blood from the ring finger to the heart. So that's why you still put the engagement ring on your partner on the ring finger. Thinking right. that will straight go to his heart. Okay. <laughs> we today know it's wrong, but it's not just anatomic. But the, think of the physiology connection. Uh, our brain secretes a lot of these uh, neurohormones, right? They are uh, catecholamines, uh, uh, epinephrine, non epinephrine, your dopamine. These ones, stimulate the heart, right? They increase the heart rate, increase the blood pressure. And a person who is, who is exposed to a surge of dopamine or noradrenaline feels what? He feels palpitation, he feels giddy, he feels his effort tolerance has come down. Uh, you know, we, we have a term called panic attacks. And if you right. see a patient of a panic attack, it looks exactly like a heart attack, right? He comes with sweating, just discomfort, clutching his chest, his heartbeat, which is faster. And to the physician also, we sometimes say, is it a heart attack? Am I mistaking one? And it might be simply a panic attack. So you see, these two hearts connected together in a very 
close way and they are interdependent and they operate uh, rather mysteriously together true i think this is a simpler way of understanding the overlay between the heart and the mind simply by placing the heart itself in two categories but yeah it does make it simpler because all of us at some point have felt this you know that nervousness when we're about to go up on stage or uh, you know that excitement when you're going to meet somebody you like so your heart reacts before you even know what is happening so yes correct the, correct the philosophical and the physical heart interacting talking of which you just mentioned somebody having a broken heart so this broken heart syndrome is something i find very intriguing because this is the epitome of the physical heart reacting to emotions can you tell us something about this cardiomyopathy uh so this uh, this uh, broken heart syndrome also going by the funny name called takosubo syndrome if you google you'd find right. takosubo syndrome it's 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 this stress cardiomyopathy is a very interesting term people ask us what is takosubo mm-hmm. you know takosubo is an is an uh, contraption used by the japanese fishermen uh, to catch octopus right. it's quite simple but ingenious ingenious you know it has a very narrow neck it's a leather pouch with a very narrow neck and a large belly looks like the those ladies purse where you pull the strings and the purse neck narrows so they are hung at the depth of the sea and mm-hmm. the poor octopus comes and swims in because you know the neck is narrow he just goes in and as the octopus goes in he realizes that he is in a closed belly of that bag tries to turn around with all its feet and all that it tries to wriggle and the string becomes uh, tighter and tighter and it automatically traps the uh, octopus so it's simple you put it down and once the octopus is in you just pick it up and go home so simple right so right. the name comes uh, to cardiology because the main pumping chamber of the heart the left ventricle uh, if you look at the left ventricle you know in takosubo the stress cardiomyopathy turns exactly like that uh, japanese contraption takosubo um okay let me tell you about a case this happened just about last month uh, young lady uh, mm-hmm. 30s Okay. Uh, she she lost her husband you know actually he died in a road accident mm-hmm. so when the news came back home she was upset you can understand a young wife losing her husband and she was crying and she was grieving you know and then she said i have chest pain and i am feeling bad so obviously relatives brought her to the uh, hospital yar ER, and everybody knew that it is stress induced she was given some stress relieving medications some diazepam and she was kept there for observation but she still went on complaining oh, my chest discomfort doesn't go so you know uh, a intelligent resident in our er he thought why not do an ekg did an ekg and that showed surprisingly a massive heart attack oh you know so so we were called in we were called in cardiology heart attack so we went in and uh, as the algorithm runs young lady heart attack shifted her to the cath lab uh, did an angiogram and to our surprise the angiogram was normal no blocks at all so surprising right yeah so normal angiogram a lady getting an ekg exactly like an heart attack and then we knew oh my god we were missing something this is stress cardiomyopathy okay and we had a look at the echocardiogram the echo showed the classical takosubo syndrome meaning that the left ventricle showed the narrow neck and a large belly uh, which normally is an oval shape and contracts well this is barely contracting we knew it is takosubo syndrome admitted her treated her and uh, uh, fortunately uh, she is uh, fine 
Uh, now the point is, you know, for a long period of time, even we said that taco subo is just one time affair, comes and goes. And mm-hmm. once you're all right, you, you never get into a problem. Uh, in fact, a very recent publication from Great Britain shows that it's not. Actually, Jeez. the data shows that, yeah, it shows that uh, there is a very high chance of recurrence if these uh, women, mostly it comes in women more than men, if they are exposed to a high stress again. Uh, they they might they might get another recurrence of taco soup and that might be worse than the first episode. So I think these are people who are very susceptible to stress and we need to be careful. We need to be cautious treating them so that they don't get into uh, uh, a recurrence again. So the, I think the point to take home is that, uh, like we said, you know, a sea, a uh, uh, calm sea is nothing. But when there's a tsunami, a mm. emotional tsunami that might secrete huge amount of catecholamines like uh, adrenaline and noradrenaline. And that surge might damage the, the architecture of the heart, the small, the very delicate vascular system of the heart. The blood vessel is going to spasm. And that is the pathobiology of how a taco subo syndrome takes place. Very, very interesting. Really, I think this is so, it's so physical, it's so visual, and it's so real that it just brings everything together in the most magical way. Yeah, in fact, you know, there have been reports where people have gotten takosubo after winning a lottery. So even oh, really? too, much of, too much of happiness might bring in takosubo. So I think as long oh, as you are new. fine. Okay. This is amazing. Yeah, yeah interesting. Very interesting. Um, Doc, we also, uh, I remember when I was studying what was more popularly known as type A and type B personalities were of great interest in cardiac psychotherapy. I'm sure you've also been using type A, type B to identify patients. But now psychologists at least are focusing more on the type D personality, especially in understanding outcomes of procedures for pacemaker implants or ICD implants. Uh, Do you deal with type D as well? Yeah, I think I think a little introduction for people who have not very conversant with ABCD like you and me. You know, type A, we have this personality traits, you know. And the way it was picked up uh, was that in most cardiologists, busy cardiology practice uh, outpatients, it started in San Francisco where Dr. Friedman's OPD, they found that all the chairs, fronts, and their handles were damaged as if they were eaten by uh, uh, by by beavers, you know, they used to call it beaver eaten. So, and that uh, uh, was because patients were anxious and they were gnawing at the chair handles and they were sitting in the front uh, damaging the upholstery. So type A is one where people are like, uh, you know, go-getter. These are people who don't sleep. They want to get onto the top of a cliff. They mm. see the next target and go and they, they're just go-getters, right? That they're adrenaline driven. But the problem is uh, type A, when they don't get something, they get easily frustrated. They get angered very soon. Their social relations are bad. That is type A. Right. Type B is just in contrast, you know, like happy, go lucky, okay, vacation type, <laughs> relax, you know, uh, go out with the family, enjoy yourself and that kind of stuff. And C is somebody who is cautious, who is careful in their every step. That is C. And D is something that is new. D is where a person is... Uh, continuously uh, uh, stressed out, whatever be the background, they're stressed out. And this stressed background, you can actually start thinking that in your office, in your school, in your neighborhood, you have people like that, you find them 
extremely stressed out at small trivial things like they're, they're never relaxing they're always thinking oh, oh my god this is what they're anxious they're angry they're they're depressed they're always worried now these deep personalities uh, tend to obviously get more of heart disease as as understandable um, mm-hmm. And now, you know, uh, we are actually, we are now, we, those who are unaware about pacemakers and ICDs, for example, intracardiac uh, defibrillators are put for people who get in cardiac arrest to prevent another cardiac arrest, right? And now we have got one step uh, uh, forward and trying to think that if a person is highly susceptible to a cardiac arrest, why not put it earlier? But imagine, understand that these are complex uh, machinery you are putting by a surgery inside the chest and so people are careful about it now so the, the thought process is that if we think that a person is more prone for uh, heart disease or a cardiac arrest simply because he has a particular personality trait can we use that as an algorithm to tell us that this person is more likely to get a cardiac arrest and i should probably uh, have a lower threshold of putting in an ICD. Now, the answer is not very clear. You know, if you look into the, all the international guidelines by all our uh, ACCs, AHAs, and ESCs, we, even the Indian guidelines, we don't really recommend that uh, let a personality type decide uh, conclusively on whether you need to put on a pacemaker or an ICD. But yes, we should understand that when we are looking at type D, we are looking at somebody who's stressed out. And obviously, this 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 anatomic heart has a higher chance of getting into trouble and we need to take uh, proper steps to prevent that uh, you know doc let me share this very interesting bit of information that i usually deal with when a patient has to have an icd implanted or a pacemaker implanted and when that patient also has a type d personality they are more likely to reject the implant or not do very well with it even if the machine is working beautifully So now what we do is we uh, try to get these type D patients from the cardiologist if they really do need the device and help them through therapy before the device is implanted so that there is a better outcome. So these algorithms are constantly evolving and it's very interesting to see that the outcomes are improving. Correct. With this, we see even for, for example, bypass surgeries, right? There are patients who have a severe triple vessel disease. We do a bypass and we are kind of relieved. Oh, my God. He was on the brink of a heart attack and our bypass surgery saved him, right? right. And the patient would come for follow-up and say, see, doc, I have a big scar in my chest. Can't you Absolutely. see that? It's so ugly, you know? So from our perspective, we think, oh, my God, uh, is it not foolish to think that he has a scar, but we have saved his life? But, you know, the type D people are always upset and always uh, critical of everything that is being offered to them. So I think we need to prepare them better, understand that it, it is not their fault, right? It is, it, the mind is just like any other body organ. So we need to correct that before we go in for a major therapy like an ICD, a pacemaker or a bypass. Like you said, they are the people who are likely to reject uh, uh, implantation in the first place. Very interesting. I think I'm enjoying this uh, this whole <laughs> revelation of, you know, what goes on behind your desk and what goes on in front of your desk. It's a very visual experience even for me to see how much you see and experience of a patient, not just from a cardiologist's perspective, but also from a psychologist's perspective. I think every cardiologist is playing the role of a psychologist subtly at all times during his or her practice. So, uh, there's this particular uh, set of symptoms, Doc, which come very frequently. I don't know how much... Uh, you have seen these to be falsely clubbed. But, you know, a lot of patients will come and assume that a mild to moderate spike in blood pressure 
has caused headaches they actually make yeah. it like you know a causative affair this has caused that when in fact sometimes it is more likely that an external stressor has caused both the headache also and the increase in blood pressure also i mean i have had patients come and tell me that when i have a headache i check my blood pressure it is high so i take a blood pressure medicine so, yeah can you kind of you know unravel this for us you know i think this is interesting because whenever we check a blood pressure and find the blood pressure is high and tell somebody uh, see i think you have high blood pressure the first response is but doc i don't have headache <laughs> i never have a headache so you see the so, other angle also yeah the other end of it right exactly opposite of what you said and we obviously see patients who uh, come and the husband would say she always has headache and you know doctor i think she has high blood pressure she gets angry with me for small things i don't tell them that even my wife get get angry at me as well but the point is that these things are not a symptom of head of of high blood pressure right high blood pressure in 95% of cases are silent it has absolutely no symptoms okay excepting those maybe 5% where it might be severe hypertension causing leakage of fluid in the brain what we call as hypertensive encephalopathy or this hypertensive patient has a, a very mild stroke or whatever otherwise uncomplicated hypertension has absolutely no symptoms so right on the point as you said when people have a stress Mm-hmm. their blood pressure goes up they also get what we call as tension vascular headache or stress headache so when they come to a doctor he complaining of headache the blood pressure is also elevated and people tend to connect it so i think there the importance lies in trying to tackle the stress rather than trying to treat the blood pressure with medications you are absolutely right on point it is exactly like we discussed the panic creating a symptom of heart attack where there we don't treat the heart attack right where there is no attack at all Absolutely. we treat the they treat the the stress that drives the panic true so uh, doc in your practice when you have a patient who comes and uh, you have identified this patient to have more psychological issues than anything else what is your next step how do you refer them out do you refer them out how do you deal with uh, them i think that is a real real bad problem it's a big headache for us you know and i think we are doing very bad in that area uh let's say a patient comes we have a physical disease we are good at it right we treat it but when we don't find a physical ailment or there's an overlay of uh, of non physical uh, components in it we what do we do we say you don't have a problem okay and he comes back again we tell him you don't have any problem i told you last time he comes back again and he's frustrated right and couple of visit later we are frustrated too we don't know what to do and we send him telling that you have no issues and finally uh, when we are pushed to the wall we say okay refer to psychiatrist and he says what doc you mean you think i've lost my mind so mm-hmm. uh, you know in india when we talk about uh, uh, a psychiatrist people take it very badly they think that you are thinking that he is he has lost his mind and there is some bad mental disease for him he thinks that can it run in families there are so many wrong concepts so we are stuck you know one in a busy opd we don't have enough time to spend with our patients and actually uh, uh handhold them telling them there is no problem and on the other side we can't really refer them to a psychiatrist i think every cardiology unit should have a counselor who should Absolutely. talk to the patients patients uh, and actually tell them i mean i think then and then only our treatment is going to see the real effect you know physical disease is what 50 60% rest of it is how the person feels exactly like i told you the patient has gone home with an successful bypass surgery still bothered about this scar 
So unless we can convince him that this is nothing, you know, nobody is going to look at your scar. You got back your life. So, and that little statement, that little hand-holding, we are cardiologists are not good at all. And I think we need to improve. If you ask me, are we doing well? I, I don't think so. Well, I'm glad you actually said it because when I talk to others about this, there is a lot of uh, camouflaging happening. A lot of people are trying to pretend that we are getting over this taboo when in fact we are not. We are doing very badly, like you said, in this area. And one of my pet peeves is when a doctor tells the patient, look, it's nothing, it's just stress. That kills it because there is no validation. The patient feels like he or she is being called out for being fake and Everything that a psychologist might have been able to do crumbles right there. So I certainly hope that we are able to build this kind of information base or this kind of awareness in doctors and patients alike that this can be dealt with, with such certain kind of kindness, with understanding, absolutely, with awareness. Absolutely. absolutely. Jumping everything onto stress has no value. It spoils the whole thing, you know. He thinks that he is being, it is like, you know, we say that, if your sugar doesn't come down, next time we'll give you insulin injection. So we are creating a, a terror of injection in him, right? He will never yes. accept insulin in his uh, rest of his life. Similarly, if we put that, you are stressed out. So he, when we lose contact instantly. True. So now let me come to a very personal question with you, Doc. Whenever I have a guest on my podcast, I ask them, most of us have a physical first aid kit at home, right? We have some band-aids in it. We have some paracetamol maybe. We have some, you know, basic uh, things that we might need if we have some cuts and bruises. Let's say if you were to make a mental first aid box for yourself, something which you could just open if you've had a bad day, if you've had a fight with someone, some kind of little trauma that you want to get over when you come back home. What would you put in that box? What would you put inside which would make you absolutely happy when you open it <laughs> that is a, i think that is a, a difficult question uh, <laughs> to be very true i don't have a first aid box but you know uh, two things that i always tell my friends my family my patients and i always tell myself right in in so called bad days is this uh, i i tell uh, all my friends that let's say tomorrow morning unfortunately you are diagnosed with an end stage cancer Right. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. It can happen to anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we are just, all our perspectives are gone. Our, our Facebook likes are gone. Our movie theater tomorrow is gone. Our, our, all our plans, visiting the shopping mall is gone. Everything is gone. Right. Our perspective is, can I somehow get out of that cancer? Right. And let's right. say a new therapy gives you a relief. And you say, oh, I got cured of my cancer. Back to normal. I'm so happy. I, I, I'm so happy that I'm back to normal. Right. Right. So I tell people and tell myself that I don't have cancer today. I don't have a deadly disease that's going to kill me tomorrow. Without that, why can't I be happy? Right? Do I need to develop a disease, get rid of it, and get back to what I am square one today and tell myself that I am happy? So mornings, like you said, on a day when I, 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 I don't think, well, I think, okay, right, let's look at the good things. I still don't have a disease. Uh, that is not going to kill me today, right? Why can't I be happy? That is point number one. And second thing, you know, it's again a small thing that I always tell is that uh, people always say that, uh, oh, I have a bad relationship. My family had a problem. My workplace has a problem or my school or a college has a problem. I tell them it is not that which is driving your unhappiness. It is your reaction to that 
environment which is responsible for the trouble. Don't blame the environment because it is your response. So I tell people, you know, people always find me that I always smile in the OPD even at evening three o'clock after 45 patients, they come and patients come and tell me, doctor, you have been working since morning. How are you so happy? And I said, see, it is all a question of your reaction to the environment, right? You can come and tell me anything, but you can't actually insult me without my permission. And that would be the second, if at all, the last toolkit in my, my <laughs> mental first aid box. Well, that's a very beautiful perspective. It's a very philosophical way of putting it. But yes, it works. These thoughts can be extremely powerful if we stick to them and if we make them an attitude. So thank you for sharing that. As we come to a close of this podcast, Doc, uh, there is something I always leave open for my guests. Any question that you have for me as a psychologist? Yeah, please tell us some tips and tricks of how we can take the so-called stress or the unhappiness uh, from the patient's mind or whom we consult and how can we make our relationship, the patient-doctor relationship, more cordial. I think we all have our own techniques, but mm -hmm. it is always to learn from something, uh, a, a person, a professional uh, like you, uh, so that I can remember it. Uh, to begin with, I think stress is something which we all underestimate. For most of us, we believe that, oh, it's stress, it must be in the mind, stop overthinking it, including doctors. So I always tell the doctors that I work with or the consultants that I speak to that consider stress to be as real as the physical disease and validate it. Once a patient feels that the stress causing the symptom is as real as maybe an organic thing causing the symptom, they are more likely to accept it and to move on. What usually okay. happens is you tell a patient they have migraine and they're very happy to take the diagnosis back because they can say something to their family, right? Look, I have a migraine, let me sleep. But if you tell them that, look, you're overthinking it or you have stress and that's causing your headache, the next thing you know, somebody in the family will say, I already told you, you think too much. So it becomes a blame game. So it's very important what the doctor says to the patient even in front of the family, because that's how the treatment then goes on at home. So if you tell your patient that, stop working so much, stop worrying so much, just relax, that's exactly what the patient's family is going to tell them later. Listen, relax, nothing is happening to you. But if you say, look, I see your symptoms and I understand what you're going through, let's take a psychologist or a psychiatrist's help to get you over these symptoms. They'll feel a Correct. little more validated and respected. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Nair, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I never realized that cardiology could be so visual. I mean, there could be so many analogies that you could create in your mind. You've given us some beautiful thoughts to go back with. And I'm sure that a lot of listeners will keep going back to this episode to try and understand what part of cardiology they were missing out on. This will help not only patients, but also caregivers in understanding how to take care better of themselves and of others. So I'm really, really grateful for your time. I'm really grateful for your expertise and your advice. Thank you for being on Detangle and thank you for making this so special for us. Thank you, Dr. Kinjal. Uh, enjoyed the evening. Enjoyed it. it absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.